0: I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me, first of all, to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 15. In the book of Deuteronomy, God is teaching His people how He would like them to live in the promised land, His people Israel. One of the things that He outlines is that there should be no poor in the land, that the poor should be taken care of. So let's read from Deuteronomy chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 to 11. At the end of every seven years you shall grant a release of debts, and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall also reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand. And your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him. And your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother to your poor and your needy in your land. So far from the Old Testament. Let's also turn to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. We'll read from Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Last week, we heard about chapter 3, when Peter and John healed the lame man. And after that, they gave a sermon to the people in the temple And then they were arrested by the Jewish authorities. So we read, beginning at verse 5 of chapter 4 in Acts, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, that's Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the men who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, you judge for we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported to all the chief All that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And now we come to our text, verse 32 to 35. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. We'll read also the next two verses. And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So far, the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, united in our risen Lord Jesus. I recently heard the story of a young man who was studying at a Bible college in some foreign country. He was married with children, and and for a few years, he had been desperately trying to learn the Bible, as well as at the same time, provide for his fledgling family, but this was a very poor man, and with only one term left in school, there was simply not enough food, and he was going to have to drop out. His fees were unpaid. His children were not receiving the sustenance they needed. They were hungry. Well, then his classmates intervened, and they chose to give up their own food. They chose to eat only one meal per day in order to support this young man and his family. Well, why? Why would his classmates do this? What would motivate them to give up their own food in such a self-sacrificial way? Well, this morning we have a summary statement of, about the early church, verse 32 to 35 of Acts chapter 4. And this summary statement just gives a glimpse into what life is like in the early church. It's one of various statements throughout the book of Acts. There's one, first of all, at the end of chapter 2, and there's also one in chapter 5. These summary statements give us a glimpse into what life is like in the early church, And the statement that we have this morning challenges us to think about the witness of our church. Because from an earthly point of view, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to sell your house and to give to the poor. It doesn't make sense to give up food for your classmate. But this morning, we'll see that when the church is shaped by the resurrection of Jesus and by the hope that we have in Him, then it does make sense. The resurrection of Jesus was so important to the early church. And so we'll look at our, theme, our text this morning with this theme, the church gives witness to Jesus' resurrection. And we'll see that the church does this in word and in deed. In verse 33, we read that with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is alive The name of Jesus has power to save, as we saw last week, because he is alive. He has defeated sin and death. His victory over sin and death is the foundation of the church. In fact, if you look at all the sermons in the book of Acts, sermons from the Apostle Peter, the sermon of Stephen, and sermons from the Apostle Paul, every sermon in the book of Acts preaches the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive. This is the central message of the apostles. We saw last week how Peter and John healed the lame man in the power of Jesus. And then they bore witness to his name, to the crowds, and, and also to the Jewish leaders who were forbidding them to speak in his name. And then we read the beautiful prayer that they prayed in chapter 4, verse 24 to 30. Because in the face of persecution, when they'd been forbidden to speak Jesus' name, they needed boldness. They realized that they relied on the Spirit to fulfill their commission to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth in order to be witness of his resurrection. Because the Jewish authorities were opposing them. They were opposing the name of Jesus. And the apostles realized that they were weak men. They needed God's help to continue to witness his name. You notice that their prayer of the apostles is shaped by God's word. They quoted directly from from the Psalms, from Psalm 2, and they applied this to their situation. Psalm 2 is, is a psalm which celebrates God's control over the nations, over all things, despite the opposition that the nations give against God. Well, the Jews were certainly opposing Jesus, weren't they? And this is how the apostles applied this psalm, that although there was opposition, although kings and rulers set themselves against Jesus, although even the Jewish authorities set themselves against Jesus, Psalm 2 promises the victory of Jesus over the nations. Psalm 2 says, "'Ask of me, and I will give the nations for your inheritance "'and the ends of the earth for your possession.'" You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus would have the ultimate supremacy. And because they knew this, because they knew that Jesus would would win, they prayed for boldness. Boldness to believe the power of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Boldness to believe in the power of his name. And boldness to be witnesses of that. Boldness to declare that. So, this is the prayer of the apostles. And, brothers and sisters, if we can have a quick little side note on prayer, the apostles show to us here that we can use scripture also to shape our own prayers. Because praying from Psalm 2 meant that they asked for boldness to be witnesses of Jesus, which is what they were called to do. Their priorities were lined up with God's priorities. And this is what it means to pray in Jesus' name, as we saw last week, to pray according to his will. And so let's use scripture to shape our prayers, to pray God's word in response to him, and then let our requests be shaped by what God has revealed. Because Psalm 2 reveals the sovereignty of God's Son, and based on this, the apostles prayed for boldness. in response to their prayer, the Spirit was poured out and they received it. Verse 31 says that when they were prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The same Spirit who was poured out at Pentecost with power, the same Spirit who empowered them to bear witness before the Jewish authorities now fills them with boldness. The Spirit of Jesus Christ whom he gave to his church to guide her, to equip her, to empower her. And so we see the result in our text, verse 33, that the apostles gave witness to Jesus' resurrection with great power. Note that they gave witness. They did this by preaching the good news about Jesus, just as Peter preached this good news to the crowd at the temple in Acts 3. Because they had personally seen Jesus alive, risen from the dead. They had touched the side of his body. They had heard his voice speaking. They had seen him eating bread after he rose from the dead. And perhaps you remember that this was one of the qualifications for choosing the replacement um, apostle to replace Judas. And they chose Matthias at the end of chapter 1 in Acts to become a witness of his resurrection. Because the apostles had seen Jesus with their own very eyes. They hadn't stolen his body and made up a story about him rising from the dead. When, As soon as they started facing persecution, that would have called that bluff pretty quickly. They wouldn't have been willing to suffer for the name of Jesus if he was still dead, if he had not risen. They wouldn't have been willing to die as some of them did end up doing. It was reported that Peter, for example, was crucified upside down. Peter and the apostles were willing to undergo this persecution. In fact, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name because they knew and they were convinced that Jesus was alive. Jesus rose from the dead. He proved his victory over sin and the grave. And this is the truth that the apostles gave witness to. The resurrection of Jesus, such an important truth for, for Peter here in our text, it was also central for the Apostle Paul. In the book of Corinthians, he writes about the resurrection, and then he says that this shocking statement, he says, if Christ hasn't risen, then our faith is futile, then we're still in our sins. He says, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then serving God is a waste of time, But Paul, like the other apostles, was convinced. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, he says that Jesus first appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You know, Paul wouldn't have made this claim if if there weren't people alive who could verify his claim. In other words, the Corinthians could have gone and found some of those 500 people and they could have checked the facts asked them, did you see Jesus? And they would have said, yes, we saw him. Paul and the apostles weren't making up a story. This really happened. The message of Jesus' resurrection was foundational for the apostles and it remains foundational for our faith today, brothers and sisters. And we can be sure that our faith rests on the true historical fact of Jesus' resurrection. It is based on the true historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead and now rules the world. His resurrection is one of the most attested facts in history, and that's, that's a game changer for us, because we can be sure of the resurrection, and we can be sure of our faith. As we saw last week in the afternoon when we talked about faith, It's not an irrational belief despite the evidence, but it is in fact well supported by the evidence. So being sure of Jesus' resurrection strengthens us when we're in a secular high school, which wants to challenge every aspect of our faith. Or when we work alongside a non-Christian workmate who doesn't really care about the Christian faith, or who might even taunt us for believing in Jesus. It helps us because we know and we are convinced that Jesus is alive, that he has won the greatest victory, and that he has proved that by his resurrection. Jesus is the ruler, the master, the sovereign king in control. Brothers and sisters, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, the church continues to bear witness to this central truth. The church witnesses this truth, firstly, by the preaching of the word. Jesus, the risen Lord, is preached. This is the ministry of the word. He is witnessed through the word which sounds forth on many pulpits. So let's pray for that word to continue to sound forth, for the messengers who who bring that word, and for the spirit to convict and encourage many hearts with the resurrection hope of Jesus. But secondly, as individual believers, we're also called to be witnesses of this resurrection hope. Not in the same way as the apostles were called to be witnesses in formal ministry, but we are called to be always prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies in us. And the reason for our hope is the empty tomb. Jesus is alive, and one day we will live forever with Him. Our faith is not in vain This is a hope that we're called to be witnesses of, to speak about, to tell this good news. And so all of us are called to be witnesses of the hope that we have in our risen Lord. And the resurrection also changes the way that we live. Because the resurrection was not only the foundation of the message that the early church preached, but it also formed a foundation for the way in which they lived their lives we can say that the early church was resurrection-shaped in both word and deed. And So we'll see that the church also gives witness to Jesus' resurrection in deed. Verse 32 says that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed Was his own, but they had all things in common. The multitude could be translated as the entire group. So all of them were, says our text, of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. Well, true unity is hard to find, isn't it? Families are often divided, countries are full of internal division, workplaces are often plagued by conflict, and sadly, churches. Too often fall prey to division, divided by differences in doctrine or difference in liturgy or difference in worship style. And this text certainly challenges us in our COVID age, doesn't it? One heart and one soul. Is that how we would describe our church today? Well, the text challenges us as a church, but it also challenges us individually, Because God commanded his people that they were to love their neighbor as themselves, that is, to self-sacrificially love their neighbors. Paul says in Philippians 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, by nature, we love ourselves more than we love God or our neighbor. This is the nature of sin. We think of ourselves higher than our neighbor. We are more right than them, or we need our time more than they do. Rather than being selfless, we are so often self-absorbed and self-focused. And perhaps this last year of multiple lockdowns has brought out this self-love Because living apart from our community can also bring out this selfishness in us. The normal opportunities we have for service are gone. It's easy to forget about praying for our church family. It's easy to forget about the other members here in Owen Sound, the other members of the body in Christ, when we don't see each other in church. Here we see in our text that the early church was of one heart and one soul. They were united. How is this possible? Well, brothers and sisters, this unity was the result of the Spirit filling their community. The unity we read about in verse 32 is a direct result of the Spirit being poured out on them all in verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings unity. 1 Corinthians 12 says that by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. Well, how does the Spirit do that? The Spirit unites us in the truth. Because the unity that we find in our text this morning was based on the truth of Jesus' resurrection, the truth of his victory over sin. The Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. Jesus said in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the Spirit unites us in the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. Perhaps you've heard that doctrine divides. And if you look at the history of the church, then you you see many splits over church doctrine. But we can see in our text this morning that doctrine truly unites. The early church was united upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus died, he died for all of our selfishness. 2 Corinthians 5:15 says that Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and for and but for him who died and for them and rose again they should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and for their sakes and rose again The believers in the early church, filled with the Spirit, were empowered to live for Jesus, who had died for their sin of selfishness and risen again. And in the same way, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sakes died and was raised. We are the family of God. We are the family of God. And because we all belong to Jesus, that is the truth which unites us. We've all been forgiven of our sin. This is what makes us one heart and soul. That was the foundation of the unity in the early church. And this is also foundational for our unity as the family of God. And brothers and sisters, the church is also called to be a united witness to Jesus and his resurrection. Also in this age of COVID restrictions... Divisions have plagued many churches as a result of different standpoints. Are we still united in our witness of Jesus' resurrection? Well, one heart and one soul, this unity, it gives witness to the resurrection because it backs up the message that the apostles were preaching. It's proof that The resurrection power of Jesus, given through His Spirit, has the power to change communities, has the power to change individuals, to be selfless, and to bind us together as a people of God. This unity worked by the Spirit, it brings together people from many different ethnicities and cultures. Perhaps you remember at at Pentecost, there were people from all of the different surrounding countries. Many different people groups who heard Peter's sermon and became part of the early church. Because the unity we have as believers transcends culture. It's more than a common interest, and so it shouts to the world that we're different, and it's the witness to the world of the source of our unity. And further, our text implies that the unity of the early church helped the apostles give witness because they didn't need to spend their time dealing with division. They weren't distracted from their main task of preaching the gospel, but the actions of the early church went along with, supported the message that was being preached. So, brothers and sisters, God's Spirit also binds us to live together in unity today. Let's pray for God's Spirit to join us together to be one heart and one soul. Let's pray for the grace to be helpless. Let's pray to be a united witness to the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Well, in our text, the unity of heart and soul was expressed in a beautiful way. Neither Did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common? Now, this doesn't mean there was no private ownership, that they sold everything they had and and came to live in a communal camp together, but rather it implies an attitude, an attitude where even their possessions were used to serve each other. It doesn't mean they didn't enjoy their possessions But no, it means that they were building up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven where the resurrected Lord was, rather than treasures on earth. And so that meant that they were not closely tied to their possessions, but they used them to care for the needy, as it says in verse 34, so that there was not among them anyone who lacked. For all, in verse 34, who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, the grammar here makes it quite clear that it was more of an ongoing process rather than a, a one time event. The NIV says, From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. So they responded to the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters as the needs presented themselves. Now, it's important to note that that this generosity was not compulsory. It wasn't a box they had to tick as being part of the early church, but it was voluntary. As one commentator said, it was not a requirement for church membership, but it was a reflex of love toward God's community. One John 3:17, as if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, God's love, when it abides in us, it motivates us to give, to love our brothers, also with our possessions. And that was the beautiful thing that was happening in the early church. It's a thing that actually also fulfilled the Old Testament command that we read from Deuteronomy 15, that there should be no poor in the land. In in Deuteronomy 15, God was outlining His plan for Israelite society. And we read twice there that there will be no poor among you. But if you just read through the Old Testament, if you look through all of Old Testament history, we realize that that command was never really fulfilled. The prophet's repeatedly rebuked God's people because they didn't look after the poor. For example, in Amos chapter 2, God warns His people of punishment because they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. If you read through the book of the Psalms, you find that there are many crying out for justice for the poor who were often mistreated. This command in the Old Testament, it was neglected. The poor people were not looked after. And so what a beautiful thing when we read here in the early church, after the Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost, that this command is being fulfilled, that the poor are being taken care of as much as they had need from a motive of love. That's a beautiful testimony to the power of the Spirit, which has been poured out at Pentecost. You can see the power of the Spirit to transform hearts and lives. And this charity, brothers and sisters, this generous giving was also an expression of the resurrection hope that believers have. Because as believers, we know that we have treasure in heaven and we don't need to worry about collecting pots and pans. Because we look forward to a glorious future, we don't need to worry about having the best luxuries in this life. As believers, we share in imperishable things. And so we can also share our perishable things. And this love that we have for the family of God, this love which we express with our unity and with our charity, it's a witness to the world. Because we, as the church of God, witness the resurrection in our deeds when we proclaim this glorious truth in our unity and in our charity. And so when we think about that group of Bible college students in the foreign country who shared their meals, who had one meal a day so their classmate could finish his schooling, it makes sense. It makes sense because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that they have treasures in heaven, that they're looking forward to a glorious future with Jesus. They could look forward to being with him forever. And it also makes sense for us to hold our possessions more loosely Perhaps to give up a holiday here or there to support a Christian cause. Perhaps to take time off work to help care for those in the body of Christ. People who may be sick or lonely. Or perhaps simply to care for those who are simply busy raising a family. And taking time off work to, do, to support these brothers and sisters might mean less money, but this is a beautiful way to express the love we have as fellow believers to have all things in common. It makes sense for us to share the things that we have been given because we have a future to look forward to. This glorious future empowers our generosity. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. We can be sure that he has won the victory over for us. Our sin has been defeated and we have a glorious future to look forward to. And so as we look forward to this day, as we step closer to this day every day, let's be united in our testimony of Jesus' resurrection. Let's proclaim this glorious truth to everyone, this glorious hope that we have that Jesus is alive, and let's remain focused on this important truth, not allowing other things to divide us. And let's pray that this truth that Jesus is alive, that he is the ruler of the world, was spread throughout the earth, that this truth would shape our churches and our communities and our own lives. Hallelujah. Christ has risen. Amen.